I'm Matt Bronger. This might help. I am not a doctor. This might help. I'm not a professional. Let's have fun. This honestly is a good time. I'm Matt Bronger. This might help the podcast. Hey guys, welcome to This Might Help with Matt Bronger, where we try to offer advice and uh, ultimately fail or succeed. Either way, it's fun. Uh, this week, I have uh, a great friend. I I'd say an old friend, but she's young, super young like I am. And uh, you might know her from Baskets, or if you're a fan of stand-up comedy, uh, you definitely know her from that. Please welcome someone who it sounds like I'm super you know, superficially in, uh, introducing as if I don't know her. So it might be weird for her. So I should just keep going. So it continues. Martha Kelly, everybody. <laughs> hey, Hi, buddy. Hey, I just realized my background is for some reason flipped it, the wrong way. It, it looks great from this angle. So if okay. you want, we can flip it around for you, but it just looks the same to everybody. Oh, okay, so, good. You're cool, like always. Well, thank you for having me. You got it. I, uh, I just to start off on on somber news, which we all love. Um, sucks about Cap City, huh? Yeah, it really does. Um, it didn't hit me until um, last night. There's an Austin. There's a Facebook group for Austin comics, and yeah. every, everybody was in there posting, and I just felt sadder and sadder. It is really sad. For folks that don't know, Cap City is a, is a legendary comedy club in Austin, Texas, where uh, Martha is from and made her comedy bones. Um, and, and now, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone. So it's uh, because yeah. of COVID. I mean, there, there is, um, <coughs> there's hope that uh, something will reopen in a different way that'll in some way be like Cap City, but I don't know anything, any details. Um, and uh, yeah, the Austin comedy scene is so great and it has been for decades. Like even people will leave and then new comics come in and it's always a really great scene. Yeah, so. yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's one of those towns that's so incredibly artistic and, and uh, forward thinking in terms of the arts, so comedy kind of can't help but thrive there and i don't know i just i think yeah. texas is such a good comedy state like that might sound crazy to some people but houston's got so much amazing comedy yeah. uh austin dallas it's there's all these places i had a great weekend in san antonio once but like just austin there's no place like it you know I've, uh, I've only ever had one good show in san antonio and it was not at a club it was at a um dom i can't remember the name of it but it's at a at a kind of like a black box venue that's really great and i can't fucking remember <laughs> it's fine anyway the point is it's sad that that club is going away uh but hopefully hopefully it comes back but you you started out in in austin um just uh -huh. I actually started in LA in 98 and then I moved to Austin in 2000 and that's where I really started doing like featuring and then started doing the road and stuff um, and then uh, yeah so I started out here um, but Austin is definitely the place if I hadn't moved there I don't know that I ever would have done more than five minutes at a time of stand-up right know? Sure. Well, I, I don't understand people that start out in LA. I think, you know, obviously not now, now, but in the past couple of years ago, years I can see it. Cause I think there's a lot more of a, of, uh, uh, I quote unquote underground scene where people can do all kinds of, uh, weird stuff. And I think that's kind of yeah. essential to a comedy scene as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But before that, it was kind of just like the big clubs and open mics and there was kind of nothing in between. Uh, and that's yeah. just a tough jump for everybody. I, I started here because I grew up here. And so I just mm -hmm. was already living here. Um, so, but yeah, I, I wouldn't move to LA or New York 
if you're brand new and looking for a ton of stage time because it's no. expensive to live yeah. here and it's you drive really far to maybe do three minutes in front of three other comics. Yeah, no, it's insane. Uh, it, you you want to have some kind of toehold, I I think, before you before you go to New York, before you go to LA. I, I think New York is probably not a terrible place to start out because you can do it so often, hopefully. Yeah. But it is, it's so expensive. I mean, I tell people all the time, start out in Chicago, start out in Portland, uh, pick a random place, Salt Lake City, you know, with a good club. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's all kinds of stuff. Minneapolis is great and Austin. Yes. Atlanta has a great scene. Oh my God, Atlanta. I forgot about Atlanta. Atlanta's got like the best comedy scene there is because it's just, it's all over the place. There's always shows. It's wild. Now, are you, are you doing uh, the Zoom thing at all? Or are you uh, just tapping out for a while? I've uh, tapped out and undecided whether I'll ever tap back in. Um, I did one stand-up show on Zoom and um, there was an audience. They were great. I still hated it. I don't know if I ever want to do stand-up again, let alone for sure not on Zoom. Um, sure. Not, but like I know people that do a lot of Zoom stand-up shows and there's definitely an audience for it. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's that's kind of... I'm not good at it. it, it it's how I'm kind of getting out of my comfort zone healthily, if that makes any sense, doing stuff online. Cause it's just because like, I know this is going to suck. Like I'm doing, I can say this now. Cause it's, it's, this is coming. This episode will come out three weeks from now. You know, mm -hmm. it's now what, uh, September 9th. Uh, I'm doing a, a show in a drive-in this weekend and I'm sure it will suck. It's not just me. It's me and four or five other people. But that sounds I'm, fun. But I'm no, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to do it. But I'm just like I don't. You, it, it, it's so it, it's so essential to have that immediate feedback. Like, do I look into people's windshields and see them laughing and kind of a? It's mm, it's right. so odd. But it, but it's like but I just I just do it and it, it's kind of freeing to not expect anything. Like it might be great. I might talk to you again and be like, oh, I was an asshole, Martha. I, that was that was fantastic. But, you know, well, I have to drive an hour to Irvine to do it. And then I drive, you know, do what, 20 minutes and then I drive an hour home. So, yeah. but it's just, it, there. <laughs> the, the, the slogan for 2020 should be, there's something freeing about low expectations. There's something... Yes. Just there's some freedom in the hellish prison that we found ourselves in. Have you found yeah. any bright sides to, to any of this that were surprising to you? Because they do exist, I think. Um, yeah, I, I definitely um, I definitely am connecting with a, a lot of people in Austin on Zoom who I wasn't connecting with as often. Yeah. And um, uh, my dog and I have become much closer. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've gotten, I've organized some things. I mean, listen, I don't enjoy the quarantine necessarily. Although actually there now I've, I have several neighbors that I have really friendly relationships with. Whereas before this yeah. happened, I knew the people next door. Yes. Um, and then now it's like when I walk my dog, people are around and there's several houses where we have like a, hey, how's it going conversation. And I love getting to know neighbors. That's really especially nice in LA because it's not necessarily the norm. No, you know? yeah. No, it's it's very, I, I'm lucky enough to live on a, a little cul-de-sac and we all pretty much know each other. And when my my wife and I had a kid a month ago and it, it's just been this like kind of children of men situation where it's like oh there's still life they, they can we can still have joy so everyone's just like yeah. where's Rose you know so we'll take her out for a walk and you can see people look out their windows and wave and stuff and it's it's kind of it's I used to be very kind of anti that growing up I always wanted to live in a city and not talk to anyone and but have my own friends you know but right. I dig it now. I really dig having people you can count on a little bit that live around you, you know? Yeah. 
So wait, your daughter's name is Rose? That's her name. You know, yep. my dog's name is Rosie. You didn't steal my my name, did you, from my dog? Cause... No, I will say this. I, I, call, I call her Rose. I call her Roosevelt. I call her Rosalind. Uh, my wife, if you call her Rosie, she's like, that's, that's not her name. Like she does not okay. like, I love Rosie. I love that name. And it's like, sometimes I'll still slip and be like, come on, Rosie. But it's just like, she'll kind of like knee jerk. Like, no. So to answer your question, no, but yes. Cause I still like um, that name. You know? I'm, congratulations. I personally, I don't have kids, but I'm close to my niece and my nephew. And I love babies. And I think that they're the best they are the best um, euphoric uh, source of euphoria that you can find, at least for she, me. It, it is, it's true everything they say. Like I melt when I'm around her. It's like, I don't know why I love her so much. I just do. Uh, she's very, I find her stuff she does hilarious. Like the way she like takes things in and watches. Her hair is like Danny DeVito's. Like she has all this thick hair and it is really thin in the front. So she just looks and it just gets wild and nuts from the heat. So it just looks, it looks like she's trying to sell you a used car and she's a man, but like, you know, putting her in, in it, it, at that thing where I wake up in the morning and I change her and then I put it, put some crazy fucking outfit on and bring her back to bed and put her in bed with my wife. It's just like they, when they're like, re remember all this. Cause it goes so fast. It's like, that's all I'm doing. And that's for me, the great thing about this quarantine where it's like, Oh, yeah. I get, I get to play with this kid. And it's, you know, there are those moments where I'm just like very lovey-dovey, but for the most part, I'm just like, this is pretty great. I'm having a, f a lot of fun with this, with this awesome. kid. And, and also she's not too fussy, you know, she'll start crying when she's hungry. And then you, then she just kind of stops when you kind of like, uh, uh, you know, give her food or kind of bounce her a little bit. So we're, we're, right. we're pretty lucky. I think I'm jinxing myself right now. Of course, in a year, she's going to, speak full sentences and hate me but like no. you know <laughs> she'll stay great she'll i i wholeheartedly believe she will stay great well i i wish you could come over and hold her you know i I, I, mean, I i would love for her to meet you and and so many more of my friends and kind of i i i'm we're lucky that we had friends who've gotten tested to come over because yeah mm -hmm. fucking take my kid walk around with her because I don't want to have that kid that's just like, as soon as a stranger holds her, a stranger to her, yeah. you know, like a friend of mine and just like starts crying. Because I had a friend who did that where uh, she just wouldn't let anyone hold her kid. And now her kid is just five years old and incredibly adjusted and stuff. And she knows she kind of fucked up doing that. But like her kid was like, it was wild. She'd be like, I have to use the bathroom. Can you hold her? She's going to really cry. I'm like, okay, you hold her. And it's just this kid would scream like your hands were on fire. And you're like, hey, can you hurry up? Yeah, she just had this. And it was hilarious because Kara's mom is uh, 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 Jean or Jeannie has this thickest Boston by way of Lake Erie, Pennsylvania accent and just didn't give a fuck. We just picked that kid up and just walk around with her and just, oh, yeah, fine. And it was the, because this kid is like clawing at her and she's just like, wee, like, I love when someone has raised a, a human child to adulthood and is like, oh, that baby can scream all he wants. I'm gonna pick that baby up. I don't give a shit. That's, um, I don't know if I would have, I might've leaned more towards don't get your hands off my baby if I have my own, but, my niece was the first baby that I really got like bonded with and uh, we were all, everybody was constantly bickering with each other about whose yeah. turn it was to hold her. So then she's was totally easy going with people holding her. But there were some times at big gatherings where some people held her that I would be eyeballing and ready to just punch right in the nose yeah well you know kyle had that bit that was like i found out when i went home for christmas i get the kind of drunk that people won't let me hold their babies like <laughs> and i you know it's that thing where it's like i i'm glad i've had i'm having a baby now in my what am i mid into late 40s where you know 
I mean, my friends drink and stuff, but no one's, no one is doing that thing that I certainly used to do where just you're stumbling around and it's like, what, what's a weekend if you're not borderline blackout? Right. <laughs> like, totally. no, no one's doing that anymore. Cause it's like you, no one wants to feel like death for three days and no one wants to embarrass themselves and, oh, and your personal health yeah. and all that too. Blah, blah, blah. But it's hard. Yeah. It got harder and harder for me to recover from hangovers mm -hmm. and but yeah when you're when you're in your 20s and early 30s it just feels like i can put my body through the ringer and it, who yes. it well and, and it's like and why wouldn't i like i have these superpowers why am i not using them exactly to, to test my physical stamina and health on a nightly basis like well you're <laughs> If your like your your story of sobriety, I always found fascinating because you were just like, I would get drunk off a few beers regularly, and then I just I stopped. You know, like that's yeah. that was kind of your because as as you told me. Yeah, you know. I think like uh, some people are really high functioning alcoholics where they might get totally wasted but they can still hold a job and like yeah. buy groceries, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But I was like, I could hold it together most of the time in front of people while I was drunk, but my actual life was, I, I mean, I was living like a cave person, just yeah. really primitive, barely getting through the day kind of shit. So, yeah. 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 That's, that, that's, I, I would say almost, I won't say the most common uh, type, but like it's so much more common than I always thought. You know, when you're like when you're growing up and then you, you start drinking and you're in your teen years and stuff and then college and you're in your adulthood and alcohol is such a massive, massive part of adult life that you 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 your conception of someone who has a problem is someone who just drinks in public and drinks socially and finds an excuse because most people you know, they say misery loves company. I feel like uh, partying loves company. Alcohol loves yeah. company. But so many people I know who've gotten sober or scaled back or whatnot. David Letterman was talking about that. Uh, on, on, and I never knew he had a problem with, with any kind of substance. But I guess he would, he would perform at the comedy store and feel so intimidated by, you know, Richard Pryor and Robin Williams and Elaine Boozler. He would go back to his house and just drink himself stupid, like every night wow. by himself. And it's like, it's, it's, it's fascinating that that's that, you know. The, yeah, the drinking alone thing I never really did because alcohol made me want to be around people. And oh, the, okay. the rare times that I tried just drinking at home was like really uh, almost unbearable. Oh, like wow. Wanting around people and be like I, well now i'm too drunk to drive anywhere and be with people like it wasn't <laughs> gonna work but i always did and, and austin is such a place to drink it's so yeah. prevalent it's so common it's it's the place where everyone always has a beer outside yeah and it's just it's that almost that thing of like if you don't people are like what are you doing where's your beer right you know it's got to be tough. Chicago is also a great drinking town. The first time I went there was 2002 for the um, Chicago Comedy Festival. Yeah. And I, was, I loved it so much. Like, I kind of wish I had lived in Chicago at some point because it's such a great, it's a great city for a lot of reasons, but certainly for an alcoholic, it's a wonderful city. <sighs> I had a great time. That was a, that was a, I always say it's a, it was a great, great place to spend my twenties. You know, yeah. I, I moved there when I was 22 and then I left when I was 28. Uh, and I felt like I got out just in time because <laughs> I still would go back and, 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 you know, go nuts with everybody, but just, I mean, I lived next door to a bar that, that closed at 4am right i could just walk out the door and go up the stairs and that last summer i was there i was I had uh my girlfriend had broken up with me and i was just i wasn't i was sad all the time and i wasn't admitting it to myself but right. i also and i also <laughs> it's wild that i never said to myself why are you going to this bar every night by yourself after you leave your friends 
or you're trying to get them to go and they don't want to go and you're just there and you're bothering the bartenders. Like I remember just drinking and being like, oh, I'm not done with my story, come here. And the guy's like, I gotta work, man. And they were like my friends, but just like, oi. Looking back on that last summer, I'm just like, thank God I just took that plunge to just like yeah. go somewhere else, you know? I mean, I took Kyle, I took my drinking buddy with me, but. You know. Well, I think that's when I met you guys in Chicago, or for sure I, I met Kyle. And then, um, but I definitely, when I moved back out here at the end of 2003, I met you guys before I quit drinking. So I yep. remember, I thought when I came back out here, I would go back to kind of being able to control my drinking. And instead, within a couple of weeks, I met all you Chicago guys. I was like, now it's fun to drink again. Like I'd been like you depressed. Oh the end of Austin. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, these guys are so fun. I can't, you know, yeah. It was fun though. It was I only lasted a couple months before I had to totally quit, but it was definitely fun. Well I'm glad we sent you off on a on a on a nice on a high note, you know, before we It was we... a great send off. Good. Still. That's glad I'm glad to hear that. Okay, well are you ready to hear our first call? Yes. Okay. Uh, that's wild. I never even knew that. Okay, roll it, Renee. Hello, Mr. Bronger. Uh, I am a 25-year-old child, and I would like some advice uh, about uh, some uh, kind of relationship issues. So I was in a relationship for about five years. Uh, we broke up last December. Uh, if you're counting, that is 2019, December of 2019. Uh, and it is now uh, September of 2020. So I have not seen her in quite a while. Uh, however, we are on fairly good terms, um, which is to say that we you know, haven't seen each other in person, but we do talk. Um, the point I'm trying to get at is that uh, for the last month and a half, I have been uh, <clears throat> uh, basically fuck buddies with one of her close friends, and <laughs> she doesn't know about it. And her friends feel sort of guilty about it, whereas I uh, don't really feel like I owe anything to her anymore, uh, considering the way that she left things and how she hooked up with one of her coworkers like a week after we broke up. But, you know, uh, but that kind of detail doesn't really matter. I'm not looking to be vindictive. I'm not trying to spite her or anything. But, uh, you know, we just we just kind of hit it off, and it's nothing serious. Um, but we, you know, are doing this, and she has been focused on trying to confront okay, – the, the person I'm trying to hook up, uh, who I've been hooking up with, is trying to uh, tell my ex about this. And so far, I have no idea how to help her in the scenario. And I like her, and I consider this person I'm hooking up with a friend, so I don't want her to go into this uncomfortable. And I was wondering if there's anything I could do to help her with this process, or if there's any, or even if I should reach out personally, because I've so far I felt like I don't need to reach out personally because it's kind of none of her business, in my opinion. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm getting mixed messages from my friends. So uh, if you guys could help me out, uh, that'd be lovely. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Wow. Good Lord, that's a lot to unpack. That's a that's a bin full of full of like loaded mouse traps to sort through. Uh, first off, I want to say you have the voice of a seventy-two-year-old private eye. When that voice came on, I was like, and he said, "I'm a twenty-five-year-old child." When he said twenty-five, I was like, "Hold on, twenty-five times what?" Like that voice. Sounds like yeah. equal parts gravel, bourbon, and cigars. Agreed. I so I mean he's probably a a, a huge man. Um, but okay. Uh, what what what's your first impression of this? And and how did what you you go don't, first, Martha? Don't tell your ex and tell the girl you're sleeping with not to tell. There's no reason to tell. No somebody what yeah. good would come of that like it, I I think that a friend of mine might have hooked up with an ex uh one night when they were both really drunk I just 
I can't remember why, but I, I got the impression from the way they both acted about it that something weird had happened. I never asked any follow-up questions. I don't ever need or want to know. Why? <laughs> if you're getting married, then yeah, maybe your exes need to know. Yeah. Otherwise, don't tell. Why? No, that's exactly how I felt. Like this is the way the, the fact that you described her as a fuck buddy, which I'm I hope you don't call her that to her face. Um, <laughs> unless you guys are calling each other that and you have a sense of humor about it. Um, and the fact that the thing is, it seems like everybody knows, but your ex and, uh, that's, that's kind of fine, kind of not, but you just got to both go, all right, what do we want out of this? Is this something that should continue? Do we want it to continue? Do we have feelings for each other? Like you guys got to be honest with each other about where this is going to go. If it's going to go somewhere real. I guess you can tell her, but at the same time, I mean, I feel like look, your, your, your friendship with her is pretty much dead. Uh, and that's okay. That's all right. I mean, I, people talk about being friends with their exes, but I, I honestly feel like for the most part, really the whole Jerry and Elaine thing is total bullshit. I, I, I've never really known a lot of people or anyone like that. It's like, oh yeah, we used to, we dated for a while and now we're just besties. It's like, right. Eh, I don't know. Uh, that, that whole thing of like, let's, let's stay friends. You're not really friends. Not, not really. I don't think you, you, you're on great terms and all that, but yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Martha. I was like sitting here, my, my brain's going here and there and trying to figure it's like, yeah, just don't, just don't tell her and tell them not to turn not to tell her that's, the end yeah i agree and also i agree that it definitely didn't sound 25. good lord just that just a rumbling monster i'm 25 and i like i i, like, I don't i don't believe you this is a terrible <laughs> bit of catfishing um okay so yeah dude just don't tell unless you guys have real feelings for each other and it's going to be something then you can let her tell her, I think. What do you think, Martha? Yeah, if it, um, if the, if the quote fuck buddies reason for wanting to tell her friend is that she values that friendship and wants to be able to, um, tell her friend in a way that it won't be harmful to her friendship with her that's between them but for the guy i would say for the caller like just i wouldn't get involved in it especially because the bit at the end where he said i don't feel like i owe her anything considering how she ended it and that she hooked up with a co-worker a week later like yeah you do sound a little angry yeah <laughs> you know so maybe don't yeah didn't stir anything up no, and it, that was that was telling that he kind of brought that out. That that was something that burnt him, and I'm yeah. I'm sure I would feel the same way. Totally. Um, but it is it is wild the level of shared information. How do you know that she fucked her coworker? Right. I don't think she told you. Like, hope not. That would be mean. I hope she didn't tell him. Do you remember Andy? We fucked. Oh, uh, look, I was just calling to get my, uh, my shoes I left at your house back. I just wanted to see if you'll be around. I just want to pick them up. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's so yeah, just don't. And yeah, she's gonna, she's gonna, it's, it won't be good for anyone, you know? Yeah. And also think about maybe getting another fuck buddy. I don't know. Yeah, it's... if you can, if you can um, go outside of a mutual friend group, that's probably a better idea. Yeah, I, I, I had I had a friend in um, in Chicago who actually when he moved to L.A. I uh, I rented a him and his buddy had a house they rented together and I rented a house. It was the first place I, I lived in when I first moved to LA, it was in Venice. But uh, he 
had a friend he told me about back in Colorado where he's from who the thing this dude would do, routinely do is if the guys, he only asked out friends' exes. So it's like a girl he already knows. So like, look, like you and I are dating and, and things don't work out. And, but my friend who you've met, who we've all hung out is like, hey, now that you're not with Bronger, I mean, do you want to get a drink? Some, you would just do that all. And these girls would be like, no, what? And it was this, it was really fucking like, kind of so gross. He wasn't, he wasn't hooking up with them, but he was making inappropriate uh, date requests is that well, uh, yeah i think he, he was he was i don't know if he was he was making it like strictly sexual advances my impression was he would literally he would ask them out like once they were out of the picture with like his friend which i've always kind of had a rule like don't date your your ex your ex's friends or anyone they kind of associate with you know i'm it's I'm just saying I'm not saying anyone needs to have that rule and I'm sure I've in my if I go over my history I'm sure I've broken it here and there but like uh uh the fact that that guy routinely serially did that was yeah. was gross so not saying what you did is gross man but if it's going to be a continual I don't know I would look at just breaking it off pretending like it never happened walking away letting your ex be not hurt yeah yeah Easy for me to say, but that's why I do that show because I don't care about anyone who calls in. Let no, joking, but it is easy, and that's the fun. All right, hope that helps. Uh, Eighty-year-old, twenty-five-year-old, caller number two. Hey Matt, uh, I'm a dude in my early thirties. Um, kind of wants to hit the reset button. Life got a little stagnant. This whole COVID thing and all. Um, anyway, I was thinking about making a move to either Chicago or Portland. And I was wondering, like, in your opinion, do you think that's, it, it, are your 30s too old to move to, like, a new Hapman spot? Or uh, or do you think your respective cities are, are worth, worth giving a shot to? Anyway, I'd love to hear your two cents. Thanks. Dude, 30 is nothing. You're yeah. a child. 30? Yeah. What was this? Is this 1812? <laughs> Where you're going to get the influenza at 32 when you have nine kids? that's that's crazy i mean that's look you you there 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 are merits to both towns i honestly don't know which i would recommend they're both incredibly livable they're both uh i think portland on the main is a little less expensive possibly but mm. this covid thing has kind of leavened the field all over the place so it's it's if you can stand brutal winners uh, uh, Chicago's great because you can have a lot more access to things. Uh, Portland's a little more livable. Um, but mm-hmm. you, I don't know. It, it, it depends on what, you, what you're looking for out of, out of life. You have been to both places, Martha. You're a lady of the world. Everyone knows that. Um, yes. what, just on, what, what would you suggest? And, and, and let's expound on how... No offense to you, man. I appreciate you calling in, but like 30 is, first off, there's no age too old to move and start anew. I maintain, I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter. It's your life. Anytime someone's like, is it too old to, it's like, if you're talking about being a teen model, yes, there's an expiration date, you know, but like for the most part, it's, it's based on other people's feelings and assumptions and fuck those people. Don't you think 30 is a little too late? No, you do. I'm going to do what I want to do, you know? So anyway. I was 32 when I moved to Austin the first time. I didn't start stand up for real until right before my 30th birthday. So um, it's never too late to be an underachiever. That's one thing. (laughs) Um, Another, I just remembered when he mentioned Chicago that the first time I went to Chicago and we went down to the beach, I thought it was the Atlantic Ocean. I did not know that the Great Lakes were so big that you couldn't see the other side of it. And I was like, wow, this is, I hadn't realized how close Chicago was to the ocean. And then people were like, you're not very smart. No, when, 
when my friend Brian McKee and I moved to Chicago, I, my, my, one, of my, one of my best friends from childhood, I grew up with him, we went to high school together. And when I got out of college, went to school in New York, and I was like, I'm moving to Chicago. And he's like, I think I want to move to Chicago. I want to get out of Portland. He was my roommate. And when we got to Chicago, we used to uh, f- uh, fill up uh, little, little like, um, water, water jugs of cocktails and bike around at night. And I remember being down by uh, Lake Michigan and him just sitting there going, no, no, I don't give a fuck. That's the ocean. Just kept saying that over and over and over. that's what i thought it's real big it's so big very big yes it's enormous Um, if i was gonna move either of those two places personally i would pick chicago because i love i find snow to be exciting because i grew up Mm -hmm. in california Mm -hmm. and also you get great thunderstorms yep and um and you're right there on the Atlantic Ocean. So that's what I was yeah. <laughs> The most important thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm definitely a Portland guy, but there just is no place like Chicago that combines the, the, the big city with Midwestern livability. Minneapolis is another one I would say consider, because that's also incredible. You do have the cold, uh, but you have access to all this incredible nature in both places but chicago Mm -hmm. is it's the big it's big shoulders town it is where a lot of very big cool stuff happens very cool stuff happens in portland but it's it's very small scale and you know it it depends what you honestly what you want to do with your life but you it in chicago you have access to a lot more things i will say and 30 you're a young person and I, I I really loved being a young person in Chicago I that was and it wasn't it sounds like I'm just like you, you can get fucked up all the time like no that's not what I mean I I I I, I knew uh, sober people then I know sober people now who live in Chicago uh, and they they have incredible lives there's just there's just so much access so much awesomeness not as much now because of covid but I mean, even just, I was thinking about how much I missed the street fairs in the Midwest because the the summertime is so worshipped because there isn't that much of it. There isn't that, you know, Portland gets really rainy, but because of global warming, it's almost year round nice now, which is not, not cool. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in Chicago, just the street fairs, you cannot beat how fun they are. And everyone, everyone's there. There's young people want to party. There's families. There's, it's just, it's, it's like, you know, it's like boiling a college town down to a street and there's like yeah. one every couple blocks. It's just, I loved them so much. So. I agree. Yeah. Chicago I think, is. I think we're saying Chicago. I think, you know, um, and not just because of the uh, uh, really awesome stuff happening in the streets of Portland. Okay. Um, so let- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I know. God, I had I had Ian Carmel on last week, and we we didn't get into it much, but we we're kind of, you know, we had to touch on it, touch on it some, but it's uh, it's something my, else. My only complaint about Portland has nothing to do with any of what's happening right now. It's that the first time I went there, um, walking down the sidewalk in downtown Portland, and a gentleman on a bicycle with a dog riding on the sidewalk, stared me down. I had to get out of the way. He's riding a bike and pulling a dog on the sidewalk. And I was like, the fucking hippies of Portland, I'll never give them another chance. As my, as my mother put it, and she didn't write this, but it is, it's where young people go to retire. (laughs) Like it's, you know, my, my parents have been there since the late seventies when they took, when they, when they brought me there as a, as a, an almost a baby. And, and, you know, it's always been Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote Fight Club, wrote a book called um, I think it's uh, it's like Rejects and Refugees, and it's about why Portland is a place where people who just don't fit anywhere just end up. And the the sad thing that people don't recognize is like that's always been a cool thing for artists and weirdos and stuff like that, and people that want to make their own candle wax gin or whatever the fuck. Um, but there's now it's people that have these insane fringe views and now they're all kind of you know so well, having, 
having insulted Portland for no reason and essentially kicked them when they're down, I do want to say every comedy show I've done there was delightful. They're, yeah. they're a great comedy audience for sure. So I it's, take back. It's true, but it, 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 I, I, that's, that's, that's all because of the, the, the underground scene. You know, for the longest, there was just one comedy club there and that was, and there was one open mic there when I was growing up and that was kind of it, you know, uh, this place called the Silver Dollar Saloon. So it's one of those things that hasn't always, the arts have always been, you know, embraced there, but there's, there was always kind of, and I don't mean to shit on Portland again, but like when I was, a, there's always a snobbery about stand up, where it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, yeah. and I know because I co-founded the Bridgetown Fest and in the beginning where we're just trying to get any press at all they wouldn't run any articles we're like we it's a comedy festival in portland there's nothing else going on this weekend please you know i mean i mentioned this on the show before but our our big uh act the first year of bridgetown was um was tig and they would the this writer well at the willamette week was like one he was like he, he's like oh i'll interview her about being a lesbian in comedy Specifically, he said that, and Tig was like, oh, "I don't want to talk about that. We talk about something else." And he's like, "Well, then I'm not going to interview her." And it was like, "Jesus Christ, Portland!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, Austin's um, uh, arts journalists also not that big on stand-up. Never sure. have been. I don't get it, but well, but that now I think it's on them because the club closed. So <laughs> we win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think you just made the point right there. Like you said, you don't get it. That person just didn't get it. But it's like that's fine. But you need to have somebody who's on a comedy desk. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it was wild. The the divergent thought between the Portland Mercury that always covered comedy and did it, you know, very well, but also covered the other arts and was a lot more tongue in cheek about almost everything. And then when I have a week that always kind of held itself to this weird standard. So they would write, I mean, Ron Funches wrote this thing to them, this thread on Twitter about like, you always manage to be condescending whenever you cover comedy. Like, how do you pull that off? And it was that thing where I was like, I was like, wow, you just, you nailed it, Ron. Where I was like, I don't understand why I'll, I'll read these. And, and that's not true anymore. They've evolved over the past, you know, mm -hmm. six, seven years, they've gotten way better. But like, there was that time where we're just like, God, we put a lot of work into this. Why are you being assholes? Right. <laughs> you you cover the arts. How does that make you a let you be a bully in your world? I don't, <laughs> I yeah. don't understand. Uh, well, I mean, let we, we got we're gonna do one more call. Let's just mm -hmm. uh, send uh, uh, good vibes out to the universe to get to get Cap City back because. I want them to to not only have the framed picture of you and Chip Pope and uh, Chris Fairbanks, you know, on the walls. I I would like there to be like the sign for the new Cap City to be like a Mount Rushmore, like all your faces, you know. But just taking their, their drawings of pictures taking of you guys in like unfortunate moments, you know, like Chip sleeping, you yawning. You know, Chris, Chris screaming with rage. Because one of the things I do love about Chris is he just has this bottomless pit of anger. And you don't yeah. see it that often, but when it comes out, oh boy, he and I kind of have that in common a little bit. So I am, um, yeah, I can also relate. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I have a, a very uh, soft spot for people who have rage issues like myself. So same, same, same. Okay, well, hopefully this last call will be about being too angry. So uh, let's roll the third. Thanks, Renee. Hey, Matt. My wife is about 34 weeks pregnant with our first child. What can I do in the next month just to support her? And how can I prepare for this major life shakeup? Thanks a lot. Hey, okay. All right. Um, I think between the two of us, you should answer this one, Martha. Oh. No, uh, <laughs> I mean... It, look, man, just don't don't uh, over anticipate, but just do everything you can to help. Uh, just make it. It's definitely about about her. It's what she's going through, and just make sure she. You'd be like, hey, do you need a water? Do you need this? Do you need that? Can I uh, get you some food or whatever? And 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 
as long as you're kind of doing the research and talking to your doctor regularly, you're, you're probably doing everything uh, you can just get, get ready for, I was to say this, don't expect anything because everything you expect will, will not necessarily be true. Everyone's experience is, is very different. Uh, our, our, our experience in the delivery room was, was not uh, easy, but it wasn't the worst either. And neither one of us looked back and, and at it with traumatized eyes and, um, and all, all of it was worth it. And it's, it's just, I will say about being a, a, a father that I've noticed it's, it's easier and harder than I expected. And I expected it to be not easy and I expected it to be very hard and it is, but it's, it's just harder in different ways that I didn't see. And it's, it's also easier in other ways I didn't see. So just really at this point, what you need to do is just be there for her. You know, don't be that person that's getting drunk all the time and um, only thinking about your own needs. And, and if you, if you, if you find yourself very angry at something she says or whatever, maybe just swallow it. Maybe just eat it, eat your pride, work on eating your pride. Cause it's, she's, she's got a, a living being inside of her that's taking a lot of her nutrients and it's not easy and she's not going to be uh, necessarily her best self. So, but just keep, and also keep a sense of humor. So Martha, you're a, you're a young father. What would you? As a young father, the most important thing that I've learned uh, from my female friends who've had babies is um, the only thing I would add to what you said is um, be very aware that postpartum depression is a real thing. And that um, lots of times women who have it, like anybody who has depression, you don't want to, you don't want to have it. So at first you might tell yourself it's not what's happening, but if you can treat it, it's better for everybody. So basically if she acts weird or not like herself after the baby's born, don't assume that it means that she decided, fuck this baby and my husband, maybe just be like, we should, just be vigilant for anything like that. Cause I think a lot more women have it than people used to realize. Yeah. And it's, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry, not to cut you off. I, I make it a point to just, to not only go, Hey, how's, how's Rose doing? If she's taking care of her, like I always go, how are you? You're right. How you feeling? Right. You know, she's these days, she's always like, great. Yeah. You know, do you, will you now when you ask her and she says, great, will you go, Hold on a minute. Martha said that you've got postpartum depression. <laughs> she specifically said you do, Kara. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> now I will. Now I will bring that into into our home. Um, it's just it's it is. Don't like it's such a big deal. So don't let it be that big of a deal. It it's it's it it'll it'll exist as its own big deal as long as you're. You're there. You're you're you run into the store whenever she wants or needs something, and and you're you're in in touch with her and her her physical and emotional, mental needs. It's just, it's it's, you know, it's nice to be needed. I, there was no there was no point where I was just like, man, I don't want to. I just want to fucking watch movies on my laptop. Leave me alone or whatever. I dug the fact that I had, especially now during quarantine, where I had a. I had a, a, a function. I had something to do that actually meant something. So often in this stupid business, you're writing stuff that no one will ever see or hear. With this, it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm helping her get through this. I'm, I'm part of the team, you know? So. And I had one, one last thing about babies. All you they, want. They wrap their little tiny hands, they reach into your chest, they wrap their hands around your heart, they yank it out. They never give it back. And it is the best <laughs> thing that you've ever experienced. You would, you would grow a new heart just so they could rip it out again. That's how wonderful it is to bond with a baby. You nailed it. And, and, and be excited because something's coming that you cannot guess how it's going to change your life. And you don't even know what this thing is going to look like. My daughter, is when she came out, she, she looked tiny to me. And they're like, no, that's a normal sized baby, sir. But we thought because my nephew is in the, literally the hundredth percentile for his age, 
Like he's as big as a child has gotten in history for that age, you know, and I'm big. My wife is tall. We thought we'd have a monster and she's not, but she's insanely strong. Like I'm not joking. She's like a muscular baby. And she, uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's like, I did the tummy time thing and she turned herself over. I was like, what the fuck? Like, and of course then I filmed it and she wouldn't do it because that's, that's how it is. But I'm just saying, that's just an example. Just be excited, man. Cause you don't know what's, there's all this really cool stuff coming that there's no spoiler possible for it. You're just going to have to learn when you learn. And that's so freeing. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like you can't binge your favorite show, which is always good. You know, it's like when, when the streaming service is like, no, we're only going to put it out every week. And you're like, fuck you, HBO Max, but it's better because then you only watch the one episode and you get on with the rest of your life. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Weird, really loose analogy. Um, but Martha, thank you for coming on. I hope you had fun. I did. It's always great to hang out with you, Matt. You too. I, I, I look forward to when we can be around each other and hold hands like we always used to. Like and, but um, and <laughs> confusing everyone else at, at the at, at the at the comedy show. Um, but yeah, I miss you and I'm glad we can uh you know do this. This is the one of the great things about this show when I have someone on that I'm I'm good good friends with, like yourself, that we we never catch up besides you doing Hey Girl that time. I never see yeah. it. Right. So. Yeah, it is really nice. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Thanks for listening to This Might Help with Matt Bronger featuring my guest, Martha Kelly, who is awesome. If you're on the fence about calling, don't be. It's awesome. Call 323-763-0228. No one's going to answer. There's going to be a me, a recording of me, and a beep, and then you leave a message. It's easy. 323-763-0228. Thanks a lot. This Might Help with Matt Bronger was created and hosted by me. Matt Bronger. Produced by Outer Circle Media. Executive producers Matt Kleinschmidt and Robert Kelly for the Laugh Button Podcasts.